Hello and welcome to The Plotting Shed. You're listening to Rachel McCarty, founder of plotplots.com and author of the book I Want to Like My Garden. Each week, The Plotting Shed discusses different aspects of garden design, but we focus on things that other books don't really talk about. I hope you enjoy this podcast and do please hit the subscribe now button so you don't miss another episode. Well, hello, good morning and welcome to another edition of The Plotting Shed. You're listening to my good self, Rachel. I hope you're all well. It's been a bit of a week, hasn't it? My goodness me. The world's gone potty, we're all back in lockdown, Covid is surging, um, so we all need some diversionary tactics to be able to listen and watch things that have got nothing to do with all of the doom scrolling that's going on with everything else that we do. So welcome to my podcast if you haven't listened from wherever you are, whether it's the morning or whether it's the evening, whether you're in the UK or you're listening all around the world as we do have listeners in lots of all the far-flung corners of the world, so very welcome and lovely for you to download my podcast. Thank you very much, by the way. Now, I'm running this little mini-series on Inside the Mind of a Garden Design, and it struck me that whenever we talk about garden designs, everyone has this grand plan or we're talking about changing the entire garden, we're looking at remodelling and completely redesigning or starting from afresh or there isn't actually a, a garden there and you've got to make one. But the reality is most gardens aren't like that and most gardens involve changing or rejigging things or you've got a, a defined space already that you can't change that's set in stone for to a large extent and so what we're really doing is not redesigning a garden we're looking at redesigning the visual imagery that the garden gives us because the bones are done we can't change those so this week i'm talking about how you can create impact when your hands are tied you only have a border. That's that's what is there. You've got a set space. How can you create a, an impactful border design when you don't have an awful lot of space and you can't change anything around? Once again, I'll put the pictures of the designs that I've done on the web page, which if you go on my blog page, it's plantplots.com and it will be forward slash, I think I'm going to call this one, Making an Impactful Garden. If you go there, you'll see all the pictures, or you can click the link on the podcast notes and it'll take you straight there, which is obviously easier. Now, I have a design company, which is plantplots.com, and I create border designs and garden designs for people, and obviously that's how I earn my money. But the vast majority of designs that I get are from smaller gardens and ordinary gardeners just like yourselves who are looking to try and improve the garden and these are sometimes my favorite because when you've only got a small space it's very hard to think big 
it's very hard to see how you can really dramatically change the outlook of something when you've only got a space that might be 80 centimeters wide or it might only be a few feet long what you can do so i thought i'd go through the thought process that i have and there's a couple two or three border designs that i will put put on there now one of my favorites that i did it was actually very close to me where i live down here in west sussex so i actually went and visited the lady because it was it was in my hometown and she had wanted to remodel her front garden it was a very open plan street it was a very open plan she had a bungalow it was a sort of a cheese wedge type or a cake slice shaped border which currently was surrounded by the the block paving driving and it had a post and rail fencing so there were no hedges in this estate there was nothing it was very open it was very sort of low but it was very suburban and and needed a, a, a bit of a shake-up and being so close to the sea this particular client really wanted something that would give the impression of that without being super themed you know she didn't want to have a a boat in the garden and she didn't want to have driftwood sculptures and all of that sort of thing but she just wanted to give the impression that you were near the sea she wanted plants that looked very pretty that were very natural that stood out from the houses around her but didn't overwhelm either one of the main problems that i find when people are looking at border designs is the use of height people are very concerned about having bigger plants in them because bigger plants will take up too much space in their viewpoint but there are some plants that give you the impression of and, and the scale without the volume and those are grasses now i know some people don't like grasses but i'm a, a, a big fan of how they operate so in a small border you need to be looking for tall and skinny plants and you need to be looking for light tall and skinny plants and you need to be looking for light tall skinny plants that move because in a solid structure what you're trying to create is contrast you will notice the movement rather than the structure and that's the bit that most people fail to get right is that you have a border you put bits of some tall shrubs in there but nothing moves so all you see is a as a solid object made bigger by solid planting so i really try and put in a contrasting style to what's around so in this case what we looked at doing was saying okay which plants can go into this border that will provide as long a period of interest as we can get without becoming too big or overbearing because it was a very sunny site we could use the festuca the blue grasses or there's another grass called elimus which again has really vibrant blue silvery blue leaves so we've got plants that will grow and keep the colour, whether it's January or whether it's it's middle of the summer. We also used some silver leaf plants. We used a hebe again because it was fairly compact. It would look like a bit of a silver boulder and it would flower in the summer and it would attract the butterflies and everything else. And then we added some penicetum grasses again and some millennia and some panicum 
because these were grasses that would give us vertical volume, they would give us movement, but they wouldn't be too dense. So one of my favourite penicetums is one called Fairy Tales. When the grass seed heads flower, you have these really long wavy wands of white fluff, which in this particular garden would move and, and gently shimmer in the breeze. But more importantly, all of the grass flower seed heads would still look good in the summer, in the autumn, and you cut them back down again in the spring. All of which means that these particular grasses and these particular in small spaces are not going to become too overly dominant. Now I know grasses do seed and that is the one downside and sometimes they can't, they, they don't look the tidiest of plants. But in a small space you can easily pull out grass seedlings fairly, fairly simply. The second principle that I use other than saying okay you've got to make a contrast with the environment by having plants that dance and move is the fact that I concentrate less on how the garden will look in midsummer. This is because borders always look their best in from May to the summer, you know, the end of the summer months, May to the end of August. But if you can concentrate on the border looking really good in the off months, it will only look better in the good months. So I very much focus on thinking what is going to give me and get those in first interest in the off season plants that will flower late or plants that will flower early. And when you have these restricted and confined spaces, the way to build up interest is to use bulbs. You can have pockets of bulbs buried at different depths in a border and they will come up through different times of the year, which gives you an extended flowering season. So if you start looking at bulbs that flower in early spring and late autumn and maybe mid-spring before the rest of the normal summer flowers will come out, then you extend your flowering season automatically. Get those in place and then anything you add to it for the summer will only enhance. And it's a, it's a sort of a reverse process from what most people think. Most people think, oh, we'll put the summer plants in and then they put bulbs in afterwards in the gaps. Well, actually, no. Other way round and you'll create a much more impactful border. So if you have a look on my website, you'll see this seaside garden that we created. And... There are a couple of others that I'll put on there as well. One I've just recently done for a couple who are not gardeners and they had already built some raised borders in the garden. And I must admit they did make me laugh because they had mentioned that the one thing they hated was looking like it was an old person's garden. They did not want B&Q flowers. You know, when you sort of people, you can see you can see the gardens, and I apologise for those people who go to B and Q and buy their plants. But there is a very limited range that DIY stores sell, and you can see these gardens where people have gone and they've gone to the B and Q, gone to the DIY store, bought the plants that are there, and plonked them in the gardens. And this particular couple just said, "Please, we don't want anything like that." 
They even sent me a picture of some gardens in their neighbourhood that they really disliked um, and said, can you just create something that's totally different? So we had two big L-shaped borders that were raised up and they wanted plants that just were different. Again, exactly the same principle applies with this fixed space that if you want to create some impact, you have to go vertical. Now, in this particular case, rather than having a more untidy grass, we used a slightly different plant, which are the retheos, which are sort of very, they're very primitive plants, actually. They kind of a throwback to Jurassic eras, but they're much more sturdy in their grass-like structure. So they're more little tiny, thin, pointy rods. They still look like a grass, but they're much taller and they're, they're, they do less. They don't wobble quite so much and dance in the wind, but they're interesting in their own right because they're architecturally interesting. Now, they're not necessarily fully hardy in certain areas, and but in this, these particular sheltered borders, they should be fine. So again, putting these tall vertical statement plants in, you then once again go to what comes up in January? How can I make the border look good in January, February, March? How can I make the border stay looking good in October, November, December? Deal with that first and then infill with the planting. So if you look at the pictures, you'll see in this particular instance, again, we've gone for shady and loving plants so it's more greens and whites where it is a shady corner because white is a very good color if you've got shade and then slightly different color scheme but still contains elements of similar plantings to both so that there is a synergy there are similar plants when you're trying to create an impactful garden in a small space or in a predefined shape border that you have that you can't do anything with you're looking at tall, skinny, light moving plants to give you some visual impact and to give you the contrast with the sturdy structures around. Secondly, you concentrate on the off season first before you put other plants in. What will come up and look good in early spring, in mid spring and in late summer, early autumn so that the garden border performs for a longer season. Now, the third thing that happens is that you can tend to get a very bitty approach between the borders. For example, you have a border that's in the shade and you have a border that's in full sun. What you'll tend to find is that people put different plants in, in for very obvious reasons, in the different borders. That one, it looks like this and this one looks like that. And the danger is that you create a very bitty looking garden. There's nothing that draws you together. So you have to start thinking about the third element, which is what are the complementing elements between the border on this side of the garden and the border on that side of the garden? Because that way, when you look from one to the other, they will be similar, but not the same. It feels as though they're together. It just makes the garden feel more constructed, if that's a right phrase to use, but not just, you haven't had this salt and pepper sort of plonk that in there and plonk this in there approach. And you do that in two different ways. 
One is colour and the other one is shapes. For example, if you've got the shadier border where your colour theme is probably more muted, it's harder to get brighter colours in, in, a, in a shadier border. What colours are you using in there? And in this particular case that we had, it was sort of whites and, and blues and greens. So you need to reflect some of those colours in the other borders so that when the white and blue and green is in flower, you have a similar colours over on the other side as well. And the second thing is shapes. In one of the borders, we used a type of grass that will grow in shade. It's not really a grass, it's called Lazula, and it has this fluffy white sort of seed heads in summer. And that would come into flower in the shade at the same time in the other border that's sunny, that we had some steeper which is a sun-loving grass, which has white fluffy seed heads. Now they're two totally different plants, but they appear similar. You're linking the two borders. We also use plants that have similar styles of flower. So in the shadier border, one of the clematis that we use has a little bell-shaped flowers, and they are sort of got little starry ends to them. So similarly, over in the sunny border, we had a plant called Libertia, and this has very tiny white flowers in the summer that have the similar end shape to the bell of the clematis flower. So all the time you are saying what will look and work with each other. For example, in the sunny side, some bulbs that came up in white in the spring when some of the bulbs, some of the flowers would look white in the shadier border. And then we can add additional colours into the summer border. But again, you're just looking at, does that give me some sense of coordination? They don't have to be the same plants, as you can see. They just have to do a similar kind of thing. And then when you sit down, you look for the similar colours. So if you've got blue in the shade, you're naturally your eye looks to the other border. And if you've got some blue bulbs that come up at the same time, it just feels more connected. It feels less disparate, less popped in. You've thought about it. And that's all really design is, isn't it? It's thinking about something in advance and just planning how you want something to look. So take a look and have a see. I'll, I'll put the border designs on there so you can see the before and after. There's another one which was for a, a garden construction. It was a front garden and that she had already built a raised border in the back. And so again, the same principles apply. How can I make this impactful? Well, you make it impactful by making it stand out from the surroundings. So we, again, we use tall, light, fluffy planting so that this particular border captured your attention because in a new housing estate this was the one thing that was going to move and sway added the bulbs in for the off season and then you create the similar colors that you can use so people look for things and that brings me on to the use of finally bright colors in small borders it's very easy to overwhelm yourself with a huge amount of stuff visual stuff you know it's just too many too many bright things going on now 
bright colours though have their place, don't they? They tend to put a smile on our face. You can have something that's really bright and cheerful, but it's like anything, treat it like an accessory. So the brighter the colour that you use, add less of it so it has more of an impact and you can use it again in different parts of the garden for example you love bright iris and, and you love the orange of an iris have some iris in the garden so when it comes in flower that orange stands out from the background planting but you can use the same orange color of the flower in objects around the garden where the iris won't necessarily work so you could have, you know, those sort of spherical ornamental orange balls or some deep orange pots, or you could have maybe orange cushions on your sofas or your, not your sofas, but your outdoor chairs. Again, you're thinking, how can I accessorise the garden with some really bright colours that will complement? If you've put some garden mirrors up, maybe, or a trellis, maybe the trellis can be painted orange. You know, you can start to really push the boundaries as to how you can make impact in a small space. So I hope I've made that fairly clear. You know, there are essentially three basic principles. And so really think about not so much what plants you're putting in. You've got to think about the job that that plant is going to do in that border. Why is it going in there? or the plant can match the job description, you are going to create an impactful border because you've given it a task to do and it does that task. So anyway, take a look, see what you think. Do let me know. You can email me, rachel at plantplots.com. You can subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss another one. I'll do another breakdown, critique, understanding of a garden design process in the next week or so. I've got a few garden designs I've got to get finished so I will try and get those done first and then put out a, a description. I've got a really cool one at the moment which a, a, a gentleman sent me in saying please can you make my garden cosy? I've tried everything but all I'm looking at is a, just a mathematical principle and it's just not just it, I can't make it feel nice. So I'm looking at how we rejig the elements of their garden so it feels nice to be in and it doesn't feel bitty he's got all the stuff there just not in the right place so i'll show you the process of how we go about that in the next week or so when i finish the design for him in the meantime stay well i hope you all stay safe i hope the world feels a little bit calmer and better uh, in a few weeks time and i will look forward to speaking to you soon and don't forget to hit the subscribe button don't forget to tell your friends about this little podcast and do please let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. Bye for now. Well, thank you for listening. You have been listening to Rachel McCartane of The Plotting Shed. If you've got any questions about this podcast, please email me, rachel at plantplots.com or you visit the website. We've loads of different information on garden design and gardening advice along with planting plans that you can download. You can look at the designs that we've created. So do take a look and please do hit the subscribe now button so you don't miss another episode. You can also donate if you go onto the website plantplots.com. There's a little button there saying you can buy me a coffee. So all donations will be hugely appreciated. Thank you very much. 
Enjoy your week, enjoy your garden, take care and stay well.